Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. I trust you all know what season it is. Walked outside today and you said, well, it's definitely winter, right? Uh, the stores tell me that we must soon be approaching Valentine's Day because there seems to be a, a, uh, a reason for me to purchase hearts and things like that. But there's an even more important season at hand, and it's not basketball season. It's not any of those things. Did you know that it is almost Girl Scout cookie season? <laughs> now, I don't believe we have many Girl Scouts in our church here. Um, you would know by now because because uh, they would already be hitting you up for orders and things. But uh, man, the last place of ministry I served, there was a slew of them. Uh, and, and about this time every year, they would all start getting geared up to sell cookies. And the, I mean, these girls, their parents, they were like little drug dealers. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, they they're they're making deals in the parking lot. I mean, it is a. Uh, I mean, it is shady. If you didn't know what was going on, you would think that the church was up to, up to something, uh, something serious. But uh, I'm going to tell you something. Tagalongs, they're my kryptonite. <laughs> my wife would buy a couple of boxes, and she would give them to me, but she's so sweet, she would actually buy a couple of more and hide them, and then she would give them to me later on in March for our anniversary. Uh, I just need to say this. The folks who market Girl Scout cookies are absolutely brilliant. For instance, tagalongs, you, you only get 15 in a box, which is highway robbery when you think about how much a box costs. But they package them in three little rows with five cookies in each little row. And they say on the box that a serving size is, is two cookies. Now, I'm a big guy. So, for argument's sake, let's just presume that a serving should actually be four cookies. And you know what happens when you're looking at that little tray of tagalongs and there's, you've eaten four cookies out of a little slot that holds five? You look down in that little tray and, gosh, you feel sorry for the one that's left. <laughs> and if you've got any kind of OCD tendencies whatsoever, one cookie sitting in a row all by itself is simply unacceptable. And so to be a good person, I mean, you want to be a good person, right? You've got to make sure that that last cookie gets to join his four friends. And just like that, you've eaten a third of a box of cookies. And the Girl Scout cartel, I mean, the Girl Scouts have, have got you on the hook to buy another box. You see them outside the Walmart, and you know you can't help but tell them no. Uh, I did ask a group of Girl Scout cookies at Walmart one time that were selling Girl Scouts, and I, asked, I said, are these made from the freshest of Girl Scouts? Uh, they didn't know what to say. Uh, in other news, I did learn that apparently they've reduced the number of tagalongs to 14 in a box, which, in my humble opinion, I believe should result in a class action lawsuit, but that's just my opinion. This morning, I want us to consider the importance of one. The importance of one. We're, we're conditioned to think that one is an insignificant number. 
It's, being, it's small. It's, it doesn't amount to much. For instance, one dollar, it's not going to get you a whole lot anymore. One Girl Scout cookie in a tray, that leaves you unsatisfied and potentially wanting four more. However, when we open our Bibles, we recognize that one by one is so often how God builds his kingdom. Now, there's obviously times where Jesus is preaching to the multitudes or, or when Pentecost falls and thousands of people are, are saved and brought into the church. But I think it's safe to say that those are the exceptions, not the norm. The norm are those one-on-one -on -one interactions that lead to the most consistent expansion of the kingdom of God. If you've got your Bible today, let's go back to John chapter 1. We were here just a couple of weeks ago. This morning I want to look a little uh, further in John's gospel, to, uh, or the first chapter of John's gospel, to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. And I would ask that once you've found your place and you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Beth Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Father, I thank you for your word, I thank you for the call of these men. We pray, God, that we might sense the call of, uh, your call upon our life in such a way as well. Bless the remainder of our service and open our eyes to the importance of one. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As Jesus went about calling his earliest disciples, we see a, a couple of different strategies in place. James and John, just a couple of weeks ago, Jesus called them directly from their vocation. They left everything to follow him. He similarly did something with Philip. However, when Philip found Jesus, he went and he tracked down his very first one, a guy named Nathaniel. The other Gospels refer to him as Bartholomew. We're told there in verse 45 that, that Philip found Nathaniel and told him the good news. Now, what's the implication here? The implication is that these men were friends. These weren't, this wasn't a happenstance encounter at the gas station. This wasn't, uh, they were in the shopping, in the checkout line together. It implies that these men are friends, that they knew each other. You see, Philip didn't go off just proclaiming and preaching to everyone that, that he had found the Messiah, that he had found Jesus. The text makes it sound like that Philip made a beeline 
to Nathaniel to share this good news with him. Perhaps they had talked about the Messiah. Perhaps they had discussed the hope and, and the potential of the Messiah. But what we understand here is that there is an intentionality to this event that we should not miss because it serves as a very important reminder for us today. If we are going to reach our one, then we must commit to being an intentional witness. If we are not intentional about this, then we're going to find the likelihood is, is that we're not going to share our faith with anybody. If we're not intentional in our efforts, then the likelihood is, is we're not going to have those conversations. But understand this, if your name is Philip and you've just met Jesus, can you imagine? I think it'd be tempting to just want to stay there with him for a while, right? I mean, I've just met Jesus. I want to stay and, and soak up some of what he has to say. I want to be around him all the time. And while there is certainly benefit to listening to, listening to Jesus all the time, if all we do is listen to Jesus without applying his call to action, then we've missed the point. We talked about this last week. But if all we do is fill our heads with knowledge, and that knowledge never touches our heart, never compels our action, never takes our feet in a positive direction, then we're not very good disciples. We've got a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of heart. We've all heard that the Great Commission is best translated like this. Instead of go, therefore, like we, like we memorize it, the tense of the Great Commission is as you go. As you go, meaning that as we go through our daily lives, we are to do this task of making disciples. It is an active command, but it implies intentionality, and it will not happen if we are not going to be intentional. We have to commit to intentionally witness to the gospel. When we have those encounters, those moments, when, when you know that this is the time, the time is right to have those conversations, we have to be intentional in our witness. So Philip has committed to being an intentional witness. We see what he does when he meets Jesus. How does he respond to his commitment? Well, we're told that he, he goes and he tells. He does something about it. He went. He found Nathaniel. This does not imply an accidental discovery. We can tell from the text that, that Jesus had his eyes on Nathaniel. This was, this was planned. This was intentional. It's not accidental. His commitment had teeth. You know, I think that we miss this in the church sometimes. We gather here, as we should, we tell the Lord, we tell ourselves that we're going to do something, but then we leave here we get into our weekly routine. We've committed with good intentions, but we don't follow through with our commitment with measurable actions. With the most noblest of intentions, we can commit to be intentional in our witness, but if we never engage our one, if we never go find our Nathaniel, then we've not really done anything but made an empty commitment. This week, I, I ran across some very alarming statistics. Only 20% were told, that's one in five, only one in five church members will invite another Christian to come to church. Uh, think about this. You've got a new neighbor, 
you've met somebody professionally, you learn that they're Christians, maybe someone new to the area. And statistics tell us that only 20% of us will invite that person we've just met to come to our church. And we rationalize, well, if they're Christians, they're already going to church somewhere. Or, you know, we think through it, and we never follow through with it. But, but listen, if you've, met a, if you've met a Christian, inviting a Christian could come, to come to church, that should be easy. That's not hard. That's like inviting me to share a box of tagalongs with you. Right? I'm not going to look at you and say, gosh, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I don't know where these tagalongs have been. I don't know you. You know, if you sit down with, with good intentions and, and these, are, these are genuine tagalongs, you're not going to have a problem inviting me to share with you. Right? This is easy. This is, this is fishing in a barrel. It's, it's, not, it's not complicated, but we're told only 20% of us have that mindset. That, that we engage people, and, and only 20% of us have the mindset, I need to invite this person to come to my church. Now, again, we don't, we don't believe in flock swapping or, or sheep stealing. That's not what we're talking about here. Just when you meet new people. What, do you go to church anywhere? No, we're looking for a church. Well, let me invite you to come to mine. However, that was a bad statistic. This one's worse. If the person you meet is lost... Only 2% of church members would invite that unsaved person to come to church. Think about that. Two out of 100. That's 100 meetings with a lost person, and only two of us would have the mind to say, man, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Again, I don't know what the statistic is for our church. This is across American Christians. Now, now, granted, I won't lie, that's a little tougher sell. It's easy to invite somebody who's on your team to, 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 to cheer when there's a touchdown, right? You don't have to work at that. That's pretty easy. But you got somebody who may be a little more, a little more animosity towards your message. It's a little harder to say, hey, man, why don't you come to church? You know, why don't you come, come hang out with us at church for a little while? That's a tougher sell. But listen to me, folks. Is that not the sale we're supposed to be making? I mean, is that not, is that not the sale that we are supposed to be, be making? If you're a car salesman and you're not willing to talk to people you encounter on the car lot, are you really much of a car salesman? This is honestly a terrifying statistic. And if we can be just very painfully honest for just a moment, men and women, if we don't get this figured out, we are looking at the last generation of Christian churches in our nation. Let that settle for just a second. If we don't get that figured out, if, if we as, as evangelical Christians don't find our motivation for reaching the lost in our workplaces and in our communities, look at the children in the room. We are looking at the last generation of churches like we have them today. Look around this room. If we don't figure out how to share the gospel with our neighbors, 
How long does our church survive if we don't solve this problem? If we don't start doing exactly what Philip did and we find our one? Based on the current baptism rate in the Southern Baptist Convention, it takes about 85 individual church members to have one convert. 85 church members to reach one person. Now, that baptism rate's counting easy ones, like children that are raised in church. It's counting those things as well. And that's not because lost folks are stubborn. It's because there's few of us who are actually being obedient to Jesus in this matter. And if I can continue that, that trend of, of just honesty, we've got to be careful, too, that we don't celebrate cannibalistic church growth as legitimate church growth. What do I mean by cannibalistic church growth? Well, that's when the body eats itself. And, and what happens in the church today, and we see this happen all the time, somebody's upset here, and what do they do? They go somewhere else, and they join that church. And that church over there grows because they added some folks from this church and this church over here suffers because this church lost people, this church gained people. And I think God's looking at this and he is saying, what are they doing? What are they doing? There are people who are literally going to hell in our neighborhoods. And we're playing church. If we don't get it figured out, it's going to look a lot different in our country in 20 years. Now, Nathaniel gives us a good reason for why this is hard for us. Because what happens when Philip finds him, he gives Nathaniel the good news. Nathaniel does what? Well, he comes back with a pretty snotty reply, right? I mean, he doesn't come back and say, oh man, I'm so excited. Take me to find him. I can't wait to meet him. His reply is what? <laughs> can, can anything good come from that town? Now, how many of us, when we have that encounter, we, we're, we shut up? Like, oh, okay, he's hostile to this. He is not someone that we need to talk to. He is not friendly to this conversation. And so he has given me every excuse in the world to stop this conversation right now. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, this is, the, this is the equivalent answer when you tell somebody that you go to church and you're a Christian and they look at you and say, oh, it's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites at church. And you say, Oh, no, the hypocrite answer, he got us. You know what I'll say? Brother, you are absolutely right. Why don't you come and join us? <laughs> we'll add one more to the mix. Because somewhere along the lines, we've gotten the idea, and we've even communicated the idea that this is a place where everybody's got their act together, and you're not allowed here. If you don't have your act together, men and women, sinners don't have their act together. And this is where the gospel's proclaimed week in and week out, and it's where sinners can have their act put together by a holy God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, if I'm from Nazareth, I'm a little offended. I, I'm, I'm a little irritated. But what does Philip say? He doesn't say, man, you got me. Simple. Three words. Come and see. Come and see. Put the ball in his court. He's got a decision to make. If Nathan or Philip's told him the good news, they found the Messiah. 
He doesn't get into a theological debate. He doesn't get into an argument with Nathaniel. He's not put off by Nathaniel's obvious prejudice against Nazareth. He simply invites him. Why don't you come and see? No harm, no foul. Now for some of us, this kind of reply would be a, a red flag, right? Closed door, abandoned ship, abort mission! But for Philip, he simply extends an invitation. And look what happens. Nathaniel accepted the invitation. Just come and see. Nathaniel gave Philip a, a great reason to bail out. Provided him with a, with a wonderful excuse to discontinue the conversation. But Philip didn't let the excuse rest. He simply invited Nathaniel, come and see. All that to say that we as the church today need to be very mindful of our excuses. And we should truly recognize and repent of those excuses. What are those excuses that we deal with today? Man, I've got a whole list here today. For instance, spiritual lethargy. Not spiritual leprosy, spiritual lethargy. What is spiritual lethargy? You ever been lethargic before? You know, maybe you, you ate a meal that was too big and, and oh, it just all you could do was go sit down and, and you couldn't move. Or, or maybe you've had a long day at work and it's been emotionally and physically taxing and you're lethargic. All you can do is go sit down. You know, you're, you're lethargic. Maybe you're on medicine that makes you lethargic. It zaps your energy. When we talk about le being lethargic from a spiritual standpoint, it's the same thing. And if you've ever been lethargic, you kind of know if you've ever been tired and you want to lay around because you're tired. What happens when you're ready to get up? You're still kind of tired because it kind of compounds on itself. When we talk about spiritual lethargy, this is what we're talking about. If you are stagnant in your walk with God, meaning you're not in the Word, you're not doing the things that you ought to be doing, you're not in fellowship with the body, you're not growing... When you are in that, that condition of lethargy, they used to call it being backslidden. Listen, you're not going to be very excited about sharing your faith. You're not going to be very excited about telling people about Jesus. And let me tell you something. If you're bored with Jesus, people are going to be bored with your story about Jesus. I mean, Philip had a, had a phenomenal story. We have found the Messiah. This is incredible. We found him. He's excited about the story. He didn't come to Nathaniel and say, you won't believe who I ran into today. Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I wouldn't want to go with you either. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. But listen, we have been bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been rescued from Satan, sin, hell, and death. How can we not be excited about that? Spiritual lethargy will destroy us. We also see in our culture, though, certain, certain trends that have started to, to run their dirty fingers into our actions. For instance, the idea of inclusiveness. It's a dangerous shift in our culture. The, the society out there says, you know what, if you're a good person, you're fine right? If you just do all the things right, if you make sure to eat that last tag along because that's what a good person does, right? 
If you just do what's right, you're going to be okay. You don't really have to have a personal relationship with Jesus to be saved. Everybody gets through at the end, right? Well, that's not what this says. But it's what the world outside says. And, and listen, when that's what's being fed to us, that's what the messages that we hear are over and over and over again, that begins to affect our desire to witness and share the gospel. Because what happens if that person you're talking to doesn't believe exactly what you think they should believe. Well, that's okay. You're close enough. Close enough is a dangerous place to be when you're talking about hell. With that in mind, another cultural trend is this disbelief in hell. You don't think about hell very often. We don't preach sermons on hell very often. You probably go daily without necessarily thinking about hell. But how, how mean is it to believe in hell? Right? I mean, how mean? Isn't a loving God sending poor innocent people to hell? Isn't that what the world says? You shouldn't believe something like that because it, it just is, it, a loving God wouldn't do such a thing. And so as Christians, we hear this and we start to, maybe they're right. Maybe, that, maybe, maybe we're too harsh on this. Listen, church, it's as biblical a doctrine as the doctrine of heaven is. It's as true as, as you and I sitting in this room today is true. And it is a reality for millions and millions of people who refuse to get their life straight by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has looked at the church today and said, you are the world's only hope. We can't allow these thoughts and opinions and ideas to affect our witness. How about busyness? There's lots of demands on our time, family, work school, sports. I, don't, I just don't have time for those conversations. That's why the Great Commission says, as you go. It's not that everybody's called to be a full-time vocational missionary. You pack up shop, and you go, and you stand on street corners, and you preach. That's not to say there's not people who are called to do that. But the Great Commission says, as we go. And so as we go about the busyness of our lives, as we go to our workplace and our classrooms and the doctor's office, and as we do those things that we have to do, we, as we go, we make disciples. And so we're looking for opportunities along the way to have those conversations. If you're busy, that's great. We live in a busy world, but that doesn't negate the need. People need Jesus. Fear of rejection. What if they say no? Will it affect our relationship? If they say no, it's going to be weird the next time I see them, right? If that neighbor, you go and talk to them, and they say, you know, I don't want anything to do with this, this religion thing, then the next time you see them, it's going to be awkward, right? Maybe. Can I ask you another question? What if they say yes? We're worried about a fear of rejection, but we overlook the incredible blessing of an affirmation. We, we overlook the fact that, that that person may have been praying, may have been thinking, may have been listening, may have been seeking, and you were the person at the right time, at the right place, when you said, can I tell you how I met Jesus? 
We talk about tolerance, similar to inclusivity. We just don't want to push our faith onto other people. This is what the world is teaching us. Some of us have lost the habit of witnessing. Where I think even a greater issue is that some of us never started the habit of witnessing. Nobody ever taught us. We never got to watch it. Never got to be a part of it. There's a lack of accountability. Nobody's asking. Find you somebody in your life who will look at you and say, who are you witnessing to? And sadly, the last one I think is much more dangerous. A church that's not intent on reaching the lost. Sadly, some churches don't want the hassle of new believers. It's hard work. It's hard work because it's like a bunch of babies in the nursery. Right? We, we talk about babies in the nursery, and we think it's a good thing to have babies in the nursery until when? Until I stand up here and say, hey, we need nursery volunteers. And then we say, maybe it's not so great to have nurse, babies in the nursery. You know, that's what happens. If, if there were 20 people standing in line back there to volunteer, and I came out and said, hey, there's 15 babies in the nursery, everybody would be like, woo, right? But if there's 15 babies in the nursery and there's 10 people back there to volunteer, we say, you know what? Maybe we ought not have that nursery. That's what new believers are like. Man, they're hard work. They're hard work. It can be messy because they don't have it all together just yet. They don't know everything they need to know just yet. They don't understand how the church works. They don't understand how to do certain things. They don't understand the songs. They don't understand why we do what we do. And so you've got to teach them and instruct them and help them grow. You have to do this incredible thing called disciple them. And that's hard work. In some churches, if the Lord sends lost people, there's folks in the church who say, Man, they bring, they're bringing a mess up in here. God forgive us. Over in Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter, verse 45. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. I love this verse. When the merchant found the prize, man, he was all in, wasn't he? He wasn't on again, off again. He knew that he had found something of tremendous value and worth, and he was willing to, when he found it, to go all in. It was far greater than anything that, he, that he'd ever owned. What we don't understand is that pearls in Jesus' day were so valuable because it's not like it was easy to get to them. Uh, you know, diving was not a, a, a popular trade in Jesus' day, and so people who went to go get pearls when they were pearl diving, they did so at great peril to their own life because they didn't have oxygen tanks on their back. And so a pearl, a, a, a great pearl was a tremendous value because they were hard to come by. You can find a diamond in the ground a lot easier than you could find a pearl in the ocean. And so Jesus here is talking about something of great value, not a string of, 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 of uh, oyster spit around somebody's neck, right? 
This is a pearl of great price. He found something that was more valuable than anything else. This morning, church, we need to realize this, that if we are Christians, if we are truly disciples of Jesus, then you have found the kingdom of heaven. And listen, it is greater than anything else in your life. And it truly calls us to go all in. How many pearls the merchant find? It's just one. Just one. But man, it was worth it all. We've got to be like Philip. To go all in for the kingdom, to not preach to the masses, but to just go find Nathaniel. Who is the Nathaniel in your life today? I want to give you three simple things in closing this morning to help you put feet to this. Three real simple things. Just as we approach this year and we're asking ourselves the question, who's our one? Just three simple things this year. The first one is this. Each one of us, each family here, each adult in the room, invite one unchurched person this year. One unchurched person to go to breakfast with you, to have lunch with you, or to have dinner with you. Listen, if you work somewhere downtown or you've got a job like that where you get a lunch break, this is easy. You go to lunch every day. People always say, preacher, you got any lunch plans? And sometimes I do. Sometimes my plan is just to eat lunch. And when that's the case, I'm happy to eat lunch with anybody. So if you, got, if you go to lunch, this is easy to do. Find somebody that you work with, invite that person to go to lunch with you, and during lunch, look for an opportunity to share your testimony and tell the gospel story. Learn to have that conversation. If you need help, practice with your spouse across the table at dinner. That's one great way to, to put action to this. Secondly, this one's a little, more, a little tougher Invite one family in your neighborhood or your street to your home this year. Choose one of your family members during that, during that time of that meal that you share or, or whatever it is that you're doing. Let one of your family members tell his or her story about how they came to Christ. Find a neighbor. Say, neighbor, I'd like for you to come over. Maybe you got a swimming pool. Neighbor, I'd like you to come over and go swimming. Maybe you got a grill outside. Neighbor, I'd like you to come over and have some hamburgers. Maybe you just want to sit down around the table and say, neighbor, I'd love for you to come over and let's talk about what's going on in the neighborhood. And just look for an opportunity to have that spiritual conversation with the folks in your neighborhood. And then thirdly, so invite somebody to have a meal with you. Invite somebody in your family to come over to your home. And in both those times, have an opportunity to share the gospel story. And then thirdly, Statistics say 98% of us won't do this. I'd like to see Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church beat the statistics. Invite one unchurched person to attend church with you today or this year. Uh, just a quick, quick thing. Look around you right now, and if there is an empty seat near you, would you raise your hand? Okay, that wasn't hard. Granted, there's a lot of the rear ends that usually fill these seats up in Gatlinburg this weekend, and so there, we can count for a bunch of them, but there's plenty of room. If everybody in here invited one unchurched person, they could all show up on the same day, and there'd still be room. 
just one unchurched person to come to church with you this year. Three simple things to have us thinking beyond ourselves, thinking beyond our wants, beyond our needs. Three simple things to go all in for the kingdom. I'll ask it again. Who's your one? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we, uh, we come to you today asking for your blessings on the church. Certainly our church is one of those, Lord, but we recognize and understand that the church in our country is in a, is in a fragile place. She's under assault from forces that are opposed to her. Her message is being watered down by those churches who've embraced a, a liberal form of theology. And as a, as a consequence, Lord, people just aren't interested. And so, God, we, we pray that today you will help us to be like Philip, that we will not just fill church every Sunday and fill our minds with teaching and our eyes with, uh, with your word, Lord, but that we would allow that to compel us, to motivate us, God, to challenge us to go find Nathaniel. He's out there. Maybe he's at our workplace or in our neighborhood or even in our family reunion. Nathaniel's there. Lord, help us to go find him, Lord. And if, if we don't have a name, God, give us one. Give us the name of that person that we need to go and talk to, Lord. God, the, the kingdom is the greatest thing in our life. It's the greatest thing we've ever found. And Lord, if we love Jesus, if we're Christians, Lord, the kingdom of God, is, is, uh, it calls us all in. And with that, there's, there's things that we should be doing, things that we should be, conversations that we should be having. And so, Lord, help us to not be like that 98% that won't ever, that won't ever invite that lost person to come to church. Lord, help us to, to flip that over, to, to turn that around. And God, not just our church, God, but that you'd spark a revival, Lord, so that, so that we'd stop measuring church growth based on who gets members from where. But that, Lord, your, your kingdom, your church in our valley, in our county, and beyond would grow not by sniping members off, but that it would grow by taking them out of the enemy's hands. That's our desire. It only happens, though, Lord, if we are willing to have those conversations. So God, help us to see that coworker, that person to have a meal with this year. Help us to see that family in our street or neighborhood to have over. Help us to find that one to simply look and say, why don't you come and see? Come and see what it's all about. Come and see what's happening in the, in the church. Come and see that indeed, like Nathaniel, they might be changed for eternity. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. 
We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.